Talo for lover, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. It's like a movie. Like, it's like a movie. Like, our town just looks like The Walking Dead. We hear from the survivors of the deadly fires that's turned Lahaina town in Maui, Hawaii, into rubble and ash. Also... The people still perceive the, um, the general ex- elections or, or, or that space as for men only. 31 female MPs from the Pacific are in Wellington this week. And later, we learn about a groundbreaking project in the Marshall Islands. Harrowing stories are emerging from survivors of a devastating wildfire that destroyed the historic resort town of Lahaina on the island of Maui in Hawaii. As of Friday, the death toll stands at 53, but this is likely to change. Fina Funua has more. The blaze sounded like a blowtorch, with 60 miles per hour gusts spewing flames across entire streets within a matter of minutes. It started from vegetation in nearby highlands before moving rapidly towards the town, driven forth by strong winds generated by a cyclone south of Hawaii. Lahaina resident Le Moana Fa'alonga said the town was caught by surprise and that local firefighters were unable to contain the flames because of the sheer speed of which the firewall moved. It was moving too fast for them. We don't have the manpower to contain, and it was just crazy. Everyone was in panic mode, and within 10 minutes, it it reached a neighborhood, and within another 20 minutes, it was already reaching all the roads where everyone was trying to leave. It was just crazy, and it was moving fast. The fire was jumping due to, like, the high wind. I don't know, it just so fast that we didn't know what to do. During the chaos, Fa'alonga's house and entire neighborhood was torched. Home to more than 12,000 people, the historic idyllic town of Lahaina is renowned for its architecture, with many of its villas and buildings dating from the 19th century. But Fa'alonga said this picturistic landscape became the scene of an apocalyptic nightmare, and the town is now reduced to ash. My whole neighborhood is gone. It's just all gone. Homes damaged, bodies on the street, cars abandoned, all caught on fire, people were jumping in the water. It's like a movie. Like it's like a movie. Like you, these are things that you see in the movie, but it's, that's what it looks like. Our town just looks like The Walking Dead. Another survivor, Alejandra Bautista, said she and her husband evacuated as soon as they saw the fire enter their street, leaving most of their belongings behind. We are in the home with my husband, and just look the smoke outside, and we're scary and just grab something and go. I lost my house. We cannot do nothing for her. What the f***, dude? Just go. Go, people, go. Beat the word down. Oh, my God, bro. In this video uploaded to Facebook, a driver and his friend see the body of a woman with fallen electrical wires near her. With both sides of the street on fire and smog clogging the air, it's too dangerous to get out and they decide to continue. Wildfires are ongoing, but most of Maui Island remains free of any damage. 
Maori resident Sandy Kapukala, who lives in the town of Kihei, told RNZ Pacific the western part of Maui Island nearby Lahaina had been badly hit while other areas are completely unaffected. She said Lahaina residents were powerless because of utility outages caused by the fires. They didn't have water or electricity there, so the people that when their homes caught on fire, they had no water, so they had to watch, just watch them burn to the ground. The roads are blocked. People can't get into that part of the island, but the part of the island where I am um, is it's a sunny, beautiful day, and people are on vacation. So it's, it's one extreme to the other. With the death toll currently standing at 53, it is the deadliest wildfire ever recorded in Hawaii and the deadliest in the U.S. since 2018, when wildfires in California caused the deaths of 97 people. With many still reportedly missing, Hawaii's Governor Josh Green said the event could be the deadliest natural disaster in the state's history, the worst being a 1960 tsunami that killed 61 people. What we saw was likely the largest natural disaster in Hawaii's state history. As you know, uh, the number has been rising and we will continue to see loss of life. We also have seen many hundreds of homes. But let me say this a couple things. We are going to need to house thousands of people. It's our intent to initially seek 2,000 rooms so that we can get housing for people. That will mean reaching out to all of our hotels and those in the community. U.S. President Joe Biden has agreed to an aid package submitted by Governor Green. No specific figure was given, but the package will cover the damages of affected residents and businesses. Biden made the public announcement during a visit to Utah. Anyone who's lost a loved one whose home has been damaged or destroyed is going to get help immediately. And I've directed that we surge support to these brave firefighters and first responders and emergency personnel. I just got off the phone before I got here for a long conversation with Governor Josh Green this morning. Let him know I'm going to make sure the state has everything it needs. Lahaina served as the capital of Hawaii from 1802 to 1845 when the state was an independent kingdom. Several historic buildings have been destroyed by the wildfire including one of the oldest church buildings in the Pacific Islands, the Waiola Church, built in 1832. This week, 31 women MPs from around the Pacific region visited Wellington for development and connection events at Parliament. They represented the majority of women MPs from the 11 Pacific Islands countries they hail from. It's a region where the vast majority of elected representatives have always been men, with the institutional and social barriers to women standing for parliaments around the region are deeply entrenched. Johnny Blaze from the House sat down for a chat about these barriers and how to overcome them, with several of the visiting Pacific MPs, starting with Geraldine Paul, an elected representative in the autonomous Papua New Guinea region of Bougainville. Politics for women in Papua New Guinea and also in the Melanesian space is actually we don't have an equal playing field with the men. Um, having said that, it means that like there, there are some other things that it, um, also contribute to that. I'm, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but one of the biggest challenges that us women face is um, we women need to support each other. 
And in, in, most, in most cases, women are the ones that are gatekeepers. They are the ones that actually culture and nature, all the cultural practice in, uh, in, in Bougainville and also in, in throughout the Melanesian society. That's inclusive of Solomon Island, Vanuatu, and, and PNG as well too. So we have this cultural practice where we, we bring our men up. We give all the, you know, we go out of our way as women to, to ensure that our men are looked after. And, and they have like traditional men houses where cultures are preserved for men. And that sort of practice also goes right into the, um, you know, into decision making as well, to where men are only the ones that are allowed to make decisions. So in that way, it kind of, it, it put a very sort of negative sort of um, recognition towards women. In other places, like, you know, there are, we call it ausman, eh, where women bring food to them and they serve all the, and it's okay, it's all right. But as, as, in a space where women need to be recognized and also sit around a table where women make the same decision where it reflects the, you know, the services in the community and everything that comes with it, women need to also be treated the same as well too. Um, so for us uh, in Bougainville, we have five women. Three of us women actually came through the reserve seat. And yes, the reserve seats are being voted by both men and women. Um, two of our colleagues actually came through the general seat, um, uh, election. But in the community, unfortunately, the people People still perceive um, they still perceive the um, the general ex- elections or, or, or that space as for men only. Now consider for a second how in New Zealand we have an even split between men and women in the 120 seat parliament. Papua New Guinea has pretty much the same amount of MPs in their national parliament, but the number of women MPs in that house two. One of them is Kesi Sawang, the MP for the Rye Coast. If you see, we are not many in our parliament. Uh, I think the smaller Pacific nations are doing better than us, but in Papua New Guinea there's only two of us in parliament. And uh, with this kind of uh, event where we, we come together as women parliamentarians uh, for the greater Pacific, networking with each, each other, learning from each other, and we can that can also strengthen us and uh, help us to become better parliamentarians in our own country, build networks and uh, work with other Pacific women parliamentarians for uh, the greater good of our region. How important is it for your country to have more female parliamentarians? Because before this last election in which you were elected, there were none. Now there's two, which is progress, but it's still small. You know, we've been independent uh, for 47 years, and I am the ninth woman in parliament in 47 years. And it is very important because, you know, Papua New Guinea, we are big. Uh, Our latest population is around 12 million. And uh, we need women in parliament to represent the voices of the 6 million women and girls in Papua New Guinea. And as, as you know, the highest we had was from 2012 to 17 with three. After that, we had zero. There's two of us right now. I'm, I'm grateful to our prime minister. When I first came in last year, he appointed me as the vice minister for international trade and investments. And after a year, now uh, three weeks ago, I was appointed as the minister for labor and employment. And uh, that's having uh, an inclusive cabinet, voices of women and girls in our cabinet. I mean, when, when you go to the election stage, there are challenges, aren't there, that women candidates face that I suppose men may not? 
Uh, yes, we face a lot of challenges, and if you look at the history of elections in Papua New Guinea, they, every time there's observers, there's research being carried out, and a lot of reports that comes out after every election. Uh, the issue is that we go to act upon those reports to actually make the playing field fairer and more, you know, conducive for women and. Uh, we, we face a lot of challenges from cultural barriers to money politics, threats, intimidation. And I, I can say that the playing field is not level for us uh, women in Papua New Guinea. Because of those disadvantages, could there be some reserved seats to create more of a balance in the House? Um, yes, I've uh, advocated for reserved seats because of all these uh, the, the challenges, but the Parliament has actually established a committee that has looked at uh, creating reserve seat looking at the Samoan model and there's actually a permanent parliamentary committee working on that uh, but uh, reserve seats in the past didn't uh, go well with uh, in our parliament uh, they want us to go out and contest just like uh, everybody else yeah. and you can listen to the full piece by Johnny Blades on the house The Marshall Islands is the second country in the world to meet the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal of Clean Water for All. An all-volunteer women's organisation in the country has been credited for spearheading the project, which took five years to complete, providing simple water filtration systems for over 8,000 households. The president of the Quarter in Ukraine Women's Organisation, Angeline Hein Reimers says the success of the program was due to the partnership with multiple government ministries, other NGOs, and the private sector. She joins me on Pacific Waves. Kia ora, Angeline. Can you briefly explain the project that you led, please? Yes. The past five years, uh, we've 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 had many other projects, but one of our uh, biggest biggest project was the water water is life or Renin Lord project in which we distributed um, water filters to every household in the Marshall Islands. Before we go more in-depth about water in the Marshall Islands, tell me about the women's group, Quarter in Ukraine. That's an interesting name. What does it mean? Yes. Karain um, Ukraine. Karain means woman. Um, and in Karain Ukraine, loosely means um, woman of the dawn. Um, traditionally speaking, uh, it relates to women's role, Marshallese women, where where they, uh, they are the managers of a household and they're expected to wake up at the break of dawn to prepare food, um, everything for the family. So um, that's how we uh, got our name. It was actually recommended by one of our women pastors here in the Marshall Islands. We've been in existence for 16 years. I'm sorry, 17 years now, and um, we're mostly, um, not mostly, all of us are voluntary members. Um, It's open to anybody. Um, It doesn't have to be um, Marshallese natives. um, Membership is open to anybody that's here in the Marshall Islands, and our mission is to improve the lives of women and children in the Marshall Islands, and our motto is... um, which is uh, marshally for a little help goes long ways. It's been reported that KIO 
prioritized rural, hard-to-reach islanders. Can you describe the struggles that they went through on a daily basis before you delivered clean water into their areas? Yes. Well, um, we targeted, we uh, first targeted the very uh, remote um, communities in our outer islands, uh, the rural households. Um, For example, one of the first islands we targeted, uh, it takes around three three to four nights when you go by ship. Um, And by um, our domestic airline, it's around three hours. Uh, so um, we kind of try to um, we break break up into groups and we uh, group the categorize the islands together. So the furthest one, uh, the group of islands that are furthest one, those are the ones that we selected. And then we have a team that we send out. And usually these ladies they have to take leave from work, leave their families. Um, a lot of our members are young mothers. Some are um, around my age, which uh, um, were, you know, around 40s and so nearing 50. So, you know, we're more seasoned and more adapt to um, riding on ships. So um, what we do is we we go on ships. A lot of these islands, we had no other option but to go on ship, go travel by sea. Uh it's been about a week because um, usually the ship usually go there and dock and offload for um, goods for the communities, maybe three, four, three to four nights. And um, we just have to work along with their schedule. But what we do is we do, um, do demonstration on the filters, uh, do our traditional protocols and meeting with the traditional and local leaders, um, and then have our community consultation, uh, do a demo on the um, water filters, some public awareness on why clean water is important, and then we do a pre-survey, and then we distribute. Marshall Islands is the second country in the world to meet the UN goal of providing clean water for all. Um, while it's an impressive honour, don't you think all countries should be able to do that already? It's, it's a basic necessity, isn't it? It is, it is, and um, uh, I was also one of the members, um, one of the team members where I went to one of the last islands where my mother is from, um, Chaluit, which has um, nine communities. Um, So it's kind of tricky here. There's like 23 outer islands, but each outer island has um, an islet or uh, communities within that atoll. So, for instance, we've got, uh, for instance, Jaluj has Jaluj Atoll. They have nine communities there. So you have to travel by boat to each nine communities. Um, and we were very determined to um, have each, every every household have a water filter. So some islets, they might have just two households. So we would actually uh, rent or charter a boat and go seek out these households and, um, you know, visit them and then do our, do our work there. 
That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, it's all fast for.